We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. I gotta get down. I gotta get down. I can't work the Hit and run coming at you live from the Shy Sox Bar and Grill. Shane Reardon is here producing and is saddled up next to me. Rich Wyatt is running the board. Some Sox fans are hanging out, uh, either hydrating with water or hydrating with the water portion of the beer that they have started to drink. Um, I, I do see some beer in place. It looks delicious, but not quite yet. Not quite yet. People are here to taunt me with their alcohol all morning long. I would expect nothing less. A couple of textures asking, who was that guest? What That stuff was great. That was Chris Kampka from NBC Sports Chicago. You can find him on Twitter, at C Kampka. And, yeah, that was some interesting stuff about the plate appearances and about Yohan Moncada. How is Yohan Moncada not an all-star when you consider the rarefied air that he is in? Statistically, that, that, that was great stuff. The list of seven people who are hitting as well as Moncada – um, who have an on-base percentage as good as Mankata, who have a slugging percentage as good as Mankata. That list of seven includes Rafael Devers, Nolan Arenado, Charlie Blackman, Cody Bellinger, Christian Yelich, uh, Freddie Freeman. That's ridiculous. And Yohan Mankata. All-stars all. And uh, as he should be. But anyway. Uh, speaking of the all-star game, one, one quick thing before I get to some of the, the stuff I mentioned I was going to get to. I need to praise Major League Baseball for doing this right. Now, if they did it right last year, I I don't remember, and shame on me, but I think I know they're doing it right now, that the Futures game, the MLB Futures game, which features all these young stars that growingly more and more fans have, have gotten to know, are intrigued with as you follow the farm system rankings, as you breathlessly watch promotions, hell, as you watch minor league games... Uh, on your computer to see how a Luis Robert is doing, to to check out you know some of these starts for for young Cubs, Amaya, the catcher. If, if you want to see some of these guys, you've been able to. Now the Futures game, which showcases them, is no longer being played on Sunday afternoon opposite actual major league ball games. I called for this several years ago. And every year I would bring it up and rail about it, usually on this show or wherever. And the other day, it came up in conversation in, in the dugout, in the Sox dugout, with some other media. And someone said, no, 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 wait a minute, hold on. The Futures game is tonight on MLB Network and watchable on MLB.com. It exists in pristine isolation, away from other baseball activities, Away from other baseball games, home run derby, then tomorrow on Monday, the all-star game on Tuesday. Tomorrow after the home run derby, I think is when they play that that softball game, the celebrity softball game. And and then after that, they used to show like a condensed version of the Futures game. I think that's the way, I know that's the way it went for a little while. I'd be like, really? This, This is what we're doing now? I'm watching 
45 minutes of the Futures game condensed at 11 o'clock on a Monday night and nobody else is. I mean, maybe I'm the baseball nerd. Actually, we know that I am. But either way, tonight, I think it's at 7 o'clock Eastern, the Futures game in pristine, beautiful isolation on MLB Network. I have to uh, commend Rob Manfred, and it's awkward to do so. And uh, anytime I think of Rob Manfred, I'm reminded that they've gotten better at centering the pill. You got better at centering the pill, everybody. That's, that's what's going on. So I saw this stat on MLB.com this morning. Jordan Bastion's a write-up of, of the game, of the Cubs-Sox game yesterday, that the Cubs are 10-15 and 15 since the 10th of June. Five games under 500. And in that time, they have gained a half game in the standings. <laughs> That's your National League Central, folks. They're five games under 500 in their last 25, and they've actually picked up a half game in the standings. And you can figure out why. So I went back and looked. Since June 10th, the Brewers are 9 and 14. The Cardinals are 12 and 10. The Pirates are 12 and 10. The Reds are the red hot team. They're 12 and 9. That's your five National League Central teams. That's how it happens that you play like the Cubs have been playing. You take some of the L's that they've been taking. And yet, you still end up in first place. And, and that's where they are. You must give them the, uh, the, the, the full-on respect of a first-place team in their division because that's what they are. It's crazy. I remember the long, long ago in the old score, old score days, uh, there was a caller named Rev Watkins. And Rev Watkins uh, one time called up and said, the Cubs don't have to get better. Everybody, just else, everybody else just has to get a little bit worse. And that was grabbed as a soundbite. Cubs don't have to get better. Everybody else just has to get a little bit worse. And that was referenced for years as the Rev Watkins theory. The Rev Watkins theory of, of sports or baseball or anything. You know, the Bulls don't have to get better. Just the rest of the Eastern Conference has to get worse. That's all. Okay, Rev, thank you. That's a good point. And it can happen sometime. Well, the Cubs have certainly not gotten better over the last 25 games, but the rest of the division has absolutely gotten worse. A hundred percent has gotten worse. So Rev Watkins, I forever think of you. He must be the late Rev Watkins. He sounded like he was 90 back then. So if he's out there, anybody knows him, feel free to give a call. 312-644-6767. All right, let's listen back. Let's listen back to Theo Epstein yesterday before the game. To contextualize, Theo on our air earlier in the week with McNeil and Parkins talks about how if things don't get better, a lot of change is in order. When asked about Joe Madden, said, I'd rather talk about the collective. Deflected and said, I'd rather talk about the collective. Uh... And then Joe Madden goes and gets thrown out against Pittsburgh for a very viable reason where, you know, guys were throwing high and tight on the Pirates, uh, on the Cubs, via the Pirates and Ray Searage. And Madden went out and had his guys back, and his guys loved it. But it was somewhat out of character to see Joe Madden with that fire, with that anger, and showing a spin move that uh, offensive tackle Cowboy Joe West could not stop, could not stop. But then this is yesterday now. Madden gets to the ballpark, talks to the media. Theo Epstein gets to the ballpark and talks to Chicago media for the first time since his, um, 
his feather-ruffling appearance on McNeil and Parkins earlier in the week. Let's let you hear a little bit of Theo. The first cut is him talking about how accountability for the team overall and the organization starts with him. How do you kind of parcel out accountability here? How much of it is on the front office for the players you procured and provided, Joe? How much of it is on Joe for the way he's managing? How much is on players for execution or lack thereof? I mean, in broad strokes, you know, I'll answer that in broad strokes first. I think, you know, we're all in this together. That's sort of one of the hallmarks of this organization is we have each other's backs and, and, and we're in it together. It's, you know, it's... Anyone who's there to, to take the credit when things are going great should be there as a leader to take uh, responsibility when we're in any of our downturns. And one of the things I like about this organization is I think that's that's the case. You don't see people running away from responsibility. And ultimately, everything in baseball operations is my responsibility. So if we're if if we're not getting the results that we should be getting, that you know it, that be, in a lot of ways begins in, in every meaningful way begins and ends with me. It's my job. I mean. This is a group of players that that we've selected. I've selected Joe, the coaching staff. That's you know I, I get to I get to say on what happens in baseball operations. So for underperforming, that's that's absolutely on me. It's always good when a leader is perfectly willing to point the thumb. He's done it many many times in his run, and I I know that carries weight for Cub fans, and I know that carries weight within an organization. It is, uh, it is a very smart thing. It is a very practical thing to do, to point the thumb. Because you feel better, and it makes, you, it makes you more likable, frankly. And I believe it makes you more respectable as, as a leader. It is easier to, to follow that leader when, overall, they've made great choices and done amazing things. But they're not afraid to say, yeah, boy, that one's on me. Or, um, yeah, sure, I, I made that choice, of course. And to comfortably stay right where they are as the leader. That's, that's something that a lot of people can learn from. Because there's a lot of people in very high, powerful posts who do not do that. Who do not very simply take accountability and point the thumb. So that makes other conversations, like when he does talk about the manager, when he does talk about certain players, it, it, it makes it a lot more valued in my mind and I know a lot of others because you know he considers his own role in it he is not scapegoating in in his in his calculations he's willing to look at his own errors and deal with them it's a very healthy way to be and it's frankly a smart practical way for a leader to be in terms of how it comes off to others so then the conversation continues with the writers, and he wants to talk about Joe Madden. And this is interesting, and this is kind of what I want to get into you guys, into with you guys uh, on the phone lines at 312-644-6767. So listen to this, and let's talk about the collaboration between Theo Epstein and Joe Madden, between the front office and the manager, what that looks like, what it has looked like, how it might be changing, and whether it can subsist and continue. When you talk about continued sloppy play, I mean, players are involved, but doesn't that eventually draw a line back to the manager? And I'm, I'm curious no. what kind of conversation. I mean, we're, we're in this, you know, like I said, we're in this, we're in this together. I mean, um, look, Joe, um, you know, Joe's been re remarkably effective and remarkably consistent. So, um, you know, yeah, I, I'm not going to sit here and say this This is on him, but I look at it collectively. I think my job is to put him in a position to succeed. His job is 
you know, to put the players in a position to succeed. And when, when we're not succeeding, it's you can't point at any any one thing. It's a collective. We're collectively not getting the job done right now. I think he's, in, you know, if if if, if you want to look at it and say, going back to the the second half last year and now the first half this year, it hasn't been as as clean as we'd like and as, as heads up as we'd like, as maybe as intense as we'd like, the, the, our style of play. So, um, you know, maybe, you know, to a certain extent, we're all asking each other, can we try something, some new things, some different things, adjust our approaches a little bit. I think Joe's, uh, um, he's got a natural curiosity that way. He's got a growth mindset. I think, you know, he may give off this air of consistency in some ways, but in other ways, he's trying new things too every day. He is to try to to try to fix it and get it locked in. So it's, um, we're just we're trying to we're trying to find the right adjustments, all of us, to the way we do our jobs and the way we collectively, as an organization, prepare and execute, um, prepare for games and execute during games to you know to play better ball. So we're all in it together. That's Theo Epstein on Joe Madden and their collaborative efforts. Joe does give off an air of consistency. It is uh, part of what has made him a great atmosphere provider as a manager. And that's a big, big part of a manager's job. Maybe number one is to provide an atmosphere where guys can be their best and challenge themselves and hold themselves accountable, etc. But like Theo says there, you've got to try new stuff. I, I talked about it yesterday, and I know that, that the front office wants managers have to have a second gear. You've got to have that, 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 you know, an, another thing to do. If, if your players need to be shown some anger to become a little bit more accountable, to stop playing quite so sloppy as the Cubs have been playing, boy, I hope that's in your bag. Is the anger in Joe's bag? Is a different sort of conversational approach in Joe's bag? He's a very, very smart, very curious guy. And as a leader, you got, you got to keep evolving, too. And we've heard through the years, Joe reads like crazy, reads books about leadership, you know, tries to do his thing. And he's got a very firmly established way of being, but he's continuing to be curious and continuing to be active. And that's what Theo Epstein is demanding and the front office is demanding and, frankly, what the situation demands. So I thought that stuff was interesting where he talks about how they are tossing around concepts together I want to know, man. I, I would love to be in those conversations. I, I you know, there, there's a lot as a baseball junkie that I have wanted to be a part of in terms of, of this Cubs rebuild and how it's gone and, and watching the way that things have happened. But this moments like this right now, what those conversations are like that and, and what kind of methodology they choose is fascinating. I, I'll find an article about a, a different manager from a couple years ago that I've referenced a couple times. I'll find it at the break and summarize for you what another manager did in a similar kind of moment because it's what I always think of. And it's um, because this is, this is a, key, it's a key moment here for Joe Madden because it, it, some managers would just dig in and stay stubborn. I'm just going to do what I do. I'm just going to do what I do. Thank you. That's not what Joe's done all year. You know, as soon as they made it clear, you're not going to get a contract extension right here before the season. We're going to let you, uh, you know, manage out your contract and then we'll talk. That, that changed the dynamic drastically. And they asked Joe to change. They made some changes for him and they asked him to change on some other things. And he has. He has changed. So 
you know, uh, and he continues to change. He continues to push himself at their request and at their behest. And it's fascinating to me because that is a made guy. Joe Madden is a made guy. He's a Hall of Fame manager. He uh, was absolutely brilliant in Tampa for a long, long time. Made a World Series for that team in that tiny little market. Came to Chicago, part of the curse-breaking Cubs World Series. A made guy. Last four years, they've averaged, what, 95 wins? I mean, it's... And yet, at his age, at his level of experience, he is being pushed by the situation and by his management to evolve further. That's great. And Joe, to his credit, when asked about it, has taken to it. Remember that in the spring and early on? is like, no, I'm enjoying it. I'm enjoying it. Getting back to hands-on with the hitters. Doing some other things. And he's been more hands-on in some other ways. So... They're involving him. It's not like it's some kind of weird push-pull where Joe's just doing his thing and Theo and Jed are doing their thing behind him or around the corner, which has been the perception sometimes. He's involved. That's cool. It's collaboration. That, that's, that's modern baseball. And it's always been on some level uh, a collaboration, but it's now more than ever. Front office has a lot of power, and they collaborate. So I want to get your thoughts right now. 312 644-6767. On that relationship, the, the collaboration of a modern baseball manager, this particular front office, whether this has lasting power, whether you understand why Joe is perhaps on that incredibly hot seat and what will happen next year. I, I, I don't believe that Joe Madden will be the manager of this team next year. I've said that. For a couple of years now, I think he'll manage out the contract and then they'll move on to, to something else. Much in the way that I thought they were going to, you know, ride Jake Arrieta through their entire team control and then let him go off uh, to another team. And, and, th- and that's what ended up happening. So I suspect that that will happen. But I, but I want to talk to you about this collaboration, this relationship. 312-644-6767 is the phone number. We are wide open for your phone calls and your texts at 67011. Your tweets at Matt Spiegel 670. It is hit and run. We are live at the Shy Sox Bar and Grill, courtesy of Wintrust. They are the presenting sponsors of the Wintrust Crosstown Series. Keep it right here. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. On the score. You're listening to Hit and Run on 670 The Score. I'm Matt Spiegel. I'm here with you every Sunday morning right now at the Shy Sox Bar and Grill. Here's what's going on on the show. At 1040, White Sox reliever Aaron Bummer is going to join us. He's a 19th round draft pick, a day three draft pick, the lowest uh, picked player on this entire White Sox roster. And he is now as good as he is. It's pretty cool. Cool story for Aaron Bummer and a nice dude. So we'll talk to him at 1040. Steve Stone at 11 o'clock on the phone. And then coming by here in person is White Sox straight-up legend. That's right, I'll say it. Ron Kittle. Every time I see the 83 uniforms, uh, I think of Kittle and Greg Walker. And we will talk to Ron Kittle right here at Chai Sox Bar and Grill in about an hour. First, though, we go to the phone lines and talk to you about Joe Madden 
and Theo Epstein, as uh, I, I just kind of discussed and you know talked around the Theo cuts about that relationship and where things stand. Let's start with Kathy in Highland Park on 670 The Score. Kathy, good morning. Thanks for calling the show. Oh, you're welcome, Matt. Yeah, great conversation. And I think, um, in general, it would be great if someone could directly ask uh, Theo Epstein, what is the role of the modern-day manager? I mean, for some of us who've watched the Cubs for many years, um, it could be one of many things, but I don't. I never thought about what did Don Zimmer do, what did... Dusty Baker do what did Lou, you know Lou Pinella just go down the list. It wasn't ever really part of the conversation. And you know, for for people who are frustrated, you know, when when Madden shows up with um, managing millennials for dummies, I mean, you think you know you set is it setting the tone? And in that case, why is he out of sync? Is because there's like four generations working, you know, these days in the out in the world. So you know, you've got to reach down if you're an older manager. Is it? Um, you know, in-game management, is that the, the critical thing of a manager? I mean, as you look at Alex Cora, he did such a great job with that last year at the uh, World Series. Is it drilling? Because some people are frustrated with the you know in the base running errors and all the errors we're seeing. I mean, do, does, is he running in-season drills with the team? Um, are we just, you know, managing the coaches below him? Is that is that what the role of the modern manager is today? Um, and I know he was told to be more uh, hands-on, but, you know, is he, you know, like I said, they showed that video of him, you know, hitting with with the players, showing them how the bat works in spring training, but is he currently doing that now? So part of the discussion is, like, what does a manager do today? Um, when we don't see success, we I guess we start to question that. Yeah, it's a re- that's really good stuff, uh, Kathy. A lot of good questions and comments from, from you in there. And it's interesting because what Don Zimmer did is very different than what Joe Madden is asked to do, uh, without a doubt. And, you know, frankly, what Dusty Baker did when he was here is different than what Alex Cora is asked to do or A.J. Hinch is asked to do. Um, you know, it used to be that some managers would have binders of information, and I remember when Tony La Russa and Dave Duncan had binders as they managed and pitching coached the Oakland A's um, it, with, during the Canseco Maguire days. People were like, oh, look at Tony. He's, he's got all these binders. Now every single manager has iPads at, or, or reams of information. And if you don't want to have that, if you don't want to do that, you will not manage. You will not. So you have to be analytical. You have to be open to it. You have to be thoughtful on top of everything else. I've always thought that the principal job, and I used to break it down like this, the principal job of a manager is to be an atmosphere provider. And then you also want a guy who's a tactical genius, right? Or tactically smart. And the best managers are both. But it's more than that now. It's a lot more than that. I'll tell you what maybe is the biggest role is figuring out how to get the information What of the information that the front office provides you is pertinent to the players and how to share it with them without overloading them? That you as the conduit between the front office and the players, managing that in terms of communication is a massive, massive part of this job these days. And for each player, it might be different. 
sometimes, you know, I'm sure that a modern manager, every once in a while, as he talks with a player, has to MF the front office with the player, right? And be like, you know, I don't know what that, what, what the F these guys are. They're giving you so much. I mean, let's, let's, you and me, let's figure out what matters here, okay? Let's look at this. So the player feels like he's empowered and he's not robotically doing what, what a suit is telling him to do. In other situations, the player might be completely into what the suits are telling him to do. Kyle Hendricks might be going directly past the manager and past the pitching coach and emailing directly with front office guys and saying, okay, what's this? What's this? Or they've given him access and now he just does it himself. You know, all the players are different that way. And your job as the manager is to make sure one of your jobs is to make sure that information is, is getting there. So that's a big part of it. And then there's the teaching. The specific teaching, boy, a lot, of, a lot of us think you shouldn't have to teach fundamentals by the time these guys get to the big leagues. But, oh, yeah, you do. Yeah, you do. So then you delegate. And Joe Madden has talked about this a lot. He delegates very strongly in terms of giving his guys responsibility. Brian Butterfield teaches base running. You got a problem with the base running this year? It's probably more on Butterfield than it is Madden. It's on the players themselves, but it's more on Butterfield than it is Madden because Butter's doing that. Um, infield defense, different guys have different things, different tasks. Tommy Hadovy, man, this is his pitching staff. And, and, and in terms of that role that I was just talking about of, of, uh, uh, of translating the information from front office to players for the pitchers, Tommy Hadovy is chosen specifically for his ability to do that as well as his personality and getting along with these guys. So it, it's a fascinating conversation to me to, to discuss all those details uh, if, if I were to simplify what A.J. Hinch is, what Alex Cora is, they are a partner. They are a partner for that front office. But personality-wise, they are strong as hell and compelling and magnetic personality to lead their guys, to talk to their guys. And, you know, and, and they have a few different gears to their personalities. They can be fun. They can be... And what's the perfect leader to you? What's the perfect manager to you? You want to be fun. You want to be um, compelling. You want to be interesting. You want guys to want to listen to you. But you'd also like to have them fear you just a bit. They got to fear somebody just a little bit. And it's not even fear like he's going to hit me, but fear in letting them down. You don't want to let them down. So that's got to be in there for me and that personality. It's got to be in there somewhere. If it's not in the manager, it better be in some of the players or some of the coaches. So th- that's the stuff. That's the stuff. And, and, and you hope that all of it is worked out between front office and manager. And if it's not, that is the reason you see change these days. It used to be that you go from a player's coach to, uh, you know, to, to a, a disciplinarian, right? They used to go back and forth between that. It's not that simple anymore. Bottom of the hour is brought to you by Northwestern Football. Join Coach Fitz in the Big Ten West Division and Holiday Bowl champions at Ryan Field this fall when they host Ohio State, Iowa, and more. Season and single-game tickets are on sale now at nusports.com. Jason is in Highland Park and is now on 670 The Score. What's up, Jason? Uh, Mr. Spiegel, good morning. Great show as always. Glad to, Good to hear you on the airwaves. Uh, I think you're having a great conversation about Joe and Theo's relationship and how much different it is now than even when Lou Pinello was here not that long ago, it seems. Um, I think part of the uh, what I wanted to say was I think I'd like to see 
before we start talking about Joe not coming back next year, like maybe uh, people be a little more patient and uh, maybe give the rest of the year before we make start uh, calling for his head a little bit. Not you, but there are those who are calling for his head. You know, we've had, if you recall, managers over the years, I don't want to bring up all the names, but good Lord, some of the managers they've had. Let's wait before we decide we've had enough of winning to go a different direction. And, uh, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, can I make one other point? Sure, go ahead, Jason. About Theo, uh, you know, Theo's made some moves that haven't worked out or haven't worked out like they'd hoped. And, but that happens. I mean, three years ago, Glaber Torres was an A-ball, right? I mean, he was blocked by Zobrist and Russell and Baez and Bryant. You know, there was no room. They got a role as Chapman and they won a World Series because of that move. We traded Jorge Soler for Wade Davis, who took who was a good pitcher for them for that year they had him. And Soler, who was one of my favorites, this is the first year it looks like he's going to really fulfill some of that promise. You know, mm-hmm. sometimes trades just don't – you can't keep everybody, I guess, is my point there. Sometimes you've got, to give, you've got to give a quality player to get a quality player back. Although I will tip my cap. I don't remember if it was you or uh, – were you with Danny Parkey that I who mentioned the uh, Lemayhew and Colvin for Ian Stewart trade? Uh, oof. Sometimes they're like that, but uh, you know what I want to say. I appreciate the show. I think you guys do a great job, and Matt, I think you're doing a great job of getting all angles on this, and I appreciate you, man. You have a good day. Hey, Jason. Thanks, man. You have a good day. I appreciate the kind words, and, and thanks for the thoughts. Um, yeah, you know, in terms of Joe, Joe getting the full year, I get it, and I, I, I had suspected that that was going to be the case. It's just that they've been not good. They have played poorly sometimes, and they haven't played crisp. Joe will tell you that himself. Theo will play that himself. When I when I see what appears what appears to be a lack of uh, focus or attention to detail on defense, missing cutoff guys, a couple more errors yesterday. Um, you know, the base running, there, there's a base running metric, an advanced base running metric on fan graphs that ranks all the teams, puts everything together. Patrick Mooney had it in his piece the other day on The Athletic. The Cubs are 22nd, 22nd out of all 30 teams. In errors, as I looked the other day, they had 60. They were fourth in all of baseball in errors. Those kind of things, frankly... Is, is when you think about leadership. It's when you think about why are these guys not in the right collective headspace to be spot on. Theo added to that in conversation the other day on the score when he said, seen a lot of too many bad first innings where we go out and it's 10 pitches and three up, three down, and, and you're toast. So, yeah, there's a, it, there's there's a lot of reason that we've gotten to this point with Joe's job being on the line, and that's because of their record, because of uh, of of what they are. They are 16 and 19 in their last 35 games. As I mentioned, they are 10 and 15 since June 10th, and yet they've picked up a half game in the standings. That's the good fortune that finds them in first place in the National League Central. Appreciate the conversation with all of you. Appreciate the text at 6711 and everything. Uh, we're going to move over to some White Sox conversation. Aaron Bummer, the fine left-handed reliever for the White Sox, will join us next. Steve Stone to talk both teams at the top of the hour. And Ron Kittle will be swinging by the White Sox bar and grill at 1130. Keep it right here. It's Matt Spiegel on Hit and Run on 670 The Score. 
After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice cold reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter, and Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Import, Chicago, Illinois. Three, two. sinker and the Sox win the opener of a rugged 15 game stretch 5-4 over the Yankees that's that opener from uh, the Thursday night of a four game series against the Yankees a few weeks back the next night was a Giolito night Boy, I remember being on the air that Friday after that first win, and that place was was just packed. That place across the street was just packed and exciting. And I was like, man, i got to get out to that Giolito game. And I went on the Friday night, and Lucas was really, really good. Not, uh, not like uh, last night, which was a tough night for Lucas. And Eloy Jimenez hit a couple three-run homers on that Friday night. And that was just a tremendous weekend. There have been a lot of really good games in terms of buzz and excitement and feel in the ballpark yesterday is a loss it blows up ugly in the fifth inning but certainly prior to that and also later once the White Sox had mounted a bit of a comeback and Craig Kimbrell got in some trouble in the ninth inning that place seemed really really alive with pleasure and flavor uh, it seemed very very happening and it's, it, it's great to see that ballpark like it's been on that night when you heard Jason Benetti making the call and like it was last night and like it will undoubtedly be today because it's been a while. It's been a while. Aaron Bummer's a tremendous story. Right now on the year, Aaron Bummer in 31 and a third innings has allowed just 19 hits. He has walked 10 guys. The whip, therefore, is under 1, 0.926. The ERA is 1.72, but that can be a tricky thing to look at for a reliever, as you know, because there's not that many innings. The fielder independent pitching is 2.82. That is excellent. And you can look at inherited runners. You can look at Ks per nine and all sorts of things. It's been a really, really good year for Aaron Bummer. And we should find out why. And we could talk a little bit about what it felt like for him to be in this series, what it has felt like to be in Cubs Sox as it stands right now. Aaron Bummer joins Hit and Run and 670 The Score and me, Matt Spiegel, right here at Shy Sox Bar and Grill right now. Good morning, Aaron. I'm across the street at the Bar and Grill, and um, this place is packed with fans ready for the game today. How you doing? I'm doing really well. How are you guys doing? We're, I'm good, man. It's um, it's just me, just little old me. And we're gonna. Uh, it, it, I wonder what it felt like to you yesterday to be at your ballpark where you've now been for a couple of years here, yeah. starting in in 2017. To be at your ballpark and have the Cubs here, and have it feel like this. To to me, this is the best that Cubs Sox has felt from a media perspective in a long time because both teams are really interesting and really worth watching. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, uh, I actually made my debut at home during uh, the Crosstown series in 2017. And, you know, there's kind of a different feel with the Sox fans and Cubs fans. You know, it's the excitement for both teams is kind of, 
reaching that point of where every single game's exciting. I mean, uh, it's kind of one of those things where we're living in, the fans are living and dying on every pitch, man. And it's, it's awesome to hear the chance of go socks. I mean, it's even fun to hear the like the uh, Cubs fans get into it. And it's just kind of that atmosphere that that's building that atmosphere. And, you know, in years to come, these games are going to be, I mean, I think it's just going to get better and better with every year. Were you, uh, were you itching to get in there or once you guys got down, did you figure, well, that's probably not me. Cause you're a guy who pitches when the team is ahead. Uh, I'm you know what? I'm ready to pitch whenever uh, skip wants me to. Um, so to me, you know, the fact that we were in that game, I think the uh, box score looks a little bit skewed for Giolito, but um, uh, Giolito made some really good pitches, had some bad luck. Uh, you know, Jays came in, did a really awesome job, and the rest of the bullpen came in and did their job. You know, we're uh, looking forward to today, taking a home a, a W today and go pretty uh, pretty happy into the All-Star break with a, with a win on the last day. It's um, the bullpen did a really nice job um, in in following up after Lucas and yeah it was just that one inning where Lucas kind of lost the release point can can you relate to that have you had moments where you've lost your release point and and all of a sudden you're not able to put it exactly where you want to and you kind of can't stop the uh, the ball from rolling down the hill oh yeah I mean I went there last year in the crosstown se- or at uh, last year in Wrigley Field man I was a spitting image of it I went out there and threw I think nine straight balls and so it's one of those things where man it happens to the best of us. Um, and you know, the really great ones are be able to, are able to, uh, correct it and, you know, kind of prevent that snowball from rolling downhill, man. But, uh, but yeah, man, things happen regardless of the situation. I mean, it could be the bottom of the ninth with runners on base and you all of a sudden lose it. I mean, it could be the first inning and you all of a sudden lose it. It's, uh, it's one of those things that happens in baseball that not a lot of guys can understand, but you know what, you, you, uh, you battle through and it's one of those grind days and you make the best of it no matter what you can. Aaron, I want to go back um, to the beginnings of your baseball story because for those who don't know, it's, it's, uh, I think it's really cool stuff. You went to Nebraska. You're 17 years old in college at the University of Nebraska. I think you'd already been drafted once but decided yep. to go to college, right? Yeah, so drafted um, uh, in 2011, went to college, yep. Okay, so you're you're in college, and 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 Darren Erstad, the the former former angel and a and a punter on the Nebraska football mm-hmm. team as well, um, is is your coach. And as he says it at the time, they weren't even like calling signs when you would calling <laughs> you know giving signals when you pitched because they were just like, all right, you just throw it, just throw it over the middle because the ball had enough movement that they were just like, just go ahead and throw it. Is that true? Oh, yeah, they didn't trust me to throw it to corners. So we sat up down the middle. We gave a sign of a zero, which was a fastball down the middle, and I got that until we had two strikes. And then I would throw one slider, and then if that slider didn't get him out, it was back to fastballs. Very, very <laughs> simple game planning for uh, us and the coaching staff then. See, that, that that's a beautiful adjustment, <laughs> though. If you've got a guy whose ball has crazy movement but he can't pinpoint it, just let him throw it, yeah. and guys aren't going to be able to handle it. Uh-huh. It's just one, you know, it's one of those things where uh, – it, you know, it's, I'm blessed to have a ball that moves. And so I hope that, you know, ideally that's not the goal for me every day going out, but, um, the days that I don't have my best stuff, I trust in my ability, uh, enough still to go out there and just, if I don't have pinpoint command, I'm going to go out there and try and throw it over the plate and make things happen. You know, and then uh, at one point you you went in the summer to the Cape Cod League. I was there uh, last summer for the first mm-hmm. time. My nephew was actually doing some broadcasting there. It was it was fun. So I got to check it out. That's an amazing place to play. And I think things went really well for you there because you started throwing in shorter stints. It was a different kind of uh, different kind of usage for you as a reliever, right? Uh, no, I was actually still starting. Um, I was still starting in Cape Cod. 
but the innings, the pitch counts and things is summer ball. I mean, instead of throwing 110 pitches an outing, you're throwing 75 pitches an outing. And um, it's a little bit less taxing your arm. So it's kind of one of those summers where I was able to figure a lot of things out um, just by trying to get in sync with my body and not being too tired out there. And um, really just developing and kind of maturing into my body and maturing my mind and going out there against some of the best hitters in the game. Um, you know, it was just an it was an awesome experience. And I, I mean, it was something that I'll never forget and can't wait to go back someday. Cool. And then uh, and then the draft comes around and you you disappointingly last until day three of uh, of of the draft. Uh-huh. And 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 the story is you're cleaning the carpet in your basement when you get a <laughs> yep. call, right? You're you're, you're you're carpet cleaning. Yep. And, and and the White Sox call and take you. And I, I love this. And I want to ask you about this because Darren Erstad, your coach, and I know he's he's still um you're still friendly. You guys uh-huh. are still very close. Um, he told you to go right because sometimes sometimes coaches will say no, come back. You're not quite ready. Why did Darren think that you were ready to go to the pros? Um, I think Darren believed in me and my stuff. I mean, I think he always did. And I think he believed in his guys. And, um, you know, I don't think he, I don't think that he told me at that time, but he really told the only guys that he he was telling to go to the draft were guys that he believed to be big leaguers. And, um, it was something that I didn't really understand at the time. Um, you kind of just see the draft as a junior and your it's your only opportunity to, uh, get a signing bonus, those type of things. And so that's as the player aspect of trying to go out there and, um, I guess in reality is go out, start your professional career. Whereas a uh, college coach is looking out for you, not necessarily on the money side, but looking out for you in the best of your career. And, um, you know, I think that he put a lot of faith in me and he believed that I was going to be a big, uh, that I had the ability to be a uh, big leaguer. And, um, you know, he told me to get out there and go and start it. And, um, you know, we're standing here now and I'm very, very thankful that um, he kind of gave me that advice and uh, we were able to keep that relationship and, um, you know, I'm really, I really look up to a guy like that. Uh, it's, it's pretty great to find a guy like that who you understand genuinely has your best interests at heart, despite yeah. what his role is and what his job is. Um, all right. In, in this brief Aaron Bummer, this is your life uh, segment. I, I promise only two more little nuggets here. Um, Tommy John surgery wipes out a couple of years for yeah. you. Um, what, what did that do to you um, to mentally uh, in terms of, you know, thinking about the rest of your career? You know, it was tough. It was kind of something that um, I didn't really see coming, um, you know, but the one day I actually had bone spurs and loose bodies taken out of my elbow in April um, of 2016. And then by August of 2016, I was still in pain, still hurting. and was kind of just looking for an answer. And all of a sudden we realized that my ligament was torn off the bone. We're like, okay, that makes a lot more sense. So, you know, I was kind of relieved to uh, potentially be pitching pain-free um, in another year or so. And, uh, you know, was, I was surrounded by a great group of guys. Uh, me and Jace Fry went through the entire thing together. Um, the first day, or I take it back, so I had Tommy John surgery in 2015, but day one, February 1st of, uh, 2016, me and Jace were playing catch together. And so we were kind of, there's three other guys out there that we were all pushing each other. Um, we had a great support staff, physical therapists, these things. And so, um, having teammates around you that are going through the same trials and tribulations that you are, um, was definitely a blessing and we were able to all push each other. And, um, that made it a lot easier, especially on us. And the fact that there was kind of somebody else doing it. You didn't feel like you were on an island alone or things like that. But, um, 
yeah, it just it was tough mentally, but uh, it was a grind, and I definitely think I matured a lot physically, matured a lot mentally. Um, had time to work on mechanics, had time to uh, build up arm strength, all those things that kind of gets lost in the mix of trying to win games in college, trying to develop in minor league baseball. Uh, we were kind of go be able to go back to square one, and you know, uh, you know, we're in a good spot now. So uh, it was it was tough, man, but uh, it's we're here now, so I can't complain. Now, right, and then you know, and you come back healthy, and and you climb through the system, get to the big leagues, and the last one I want to ask you about is is June two thousand eighteen. When you get sent down, we've seen this a lot. Guys come up and they struggle and they get sent down. And and what were what were your thoughts and emotions when you got sent down? Because you you came you came back up in September. Uh, you know, it was kind of a simple thought and saying. I mean, it's a it's a it's a baseball mantra for a lot of times, but it's if you don't like it, play better. And so I kind of took that mantra of saying, all right, I don't want to be this guy that keeps going up up and down, and. Um, uh, I really wanted to establish myself. And so there's two ways to, I mean, you can get sent down and put your head down, put your tail between your legs and uh, kind of go out there and think that uh, the world's out to get you, or you can go out there and try to make a difference in yourself. And so um, a lot of time that I spent in Charlotte and a lot of time this off season, I tried to go out there and make myself a major league pitcher because that's who I wanted to be. That's what I've always wanted to do. And, um, you know, a lot of things kind of rolled my way and the things that I did this off season of adding a cutter, um, getting bigger, getting stronger, um, all those kind of things kind of took off. And, you know, um, I was, I'm definitely thankful that I did have the m- right mindset on going down. Yeah, I, I mean, it, it sounds like the, the commonality there is like you didn't consider yourself a victim or if you did for a moment, you you transitioned pretty quickly to all right, yeah. what do I have to do, you know, yeah. and, and now and, and now here you are. Here you are. So having gone through all of that and pitching as well as you are, what's the mindset now when you get the call? And you are you are you know you walk from the bullpen to the mound. What is what's the what's the mindset at that point for you? The, I mean, it's simple. It's just go out and get the job done. Um, whether or not we have the lead, and it's my job to hold a lead. Whether or not it's a tie game, and uh, we need to hold a tie, or whether or not we're losing and the game, and we need to stay in the game, regardless of it is, um, regardless of the situation. I'm going to go out there and try and do my job to, to the best of my abilities, and. Um, at the end of the day, uh, I'm going to look back and ask myself if I did, if I got better that day. Cause my goal is still is to get better every single day, regardless of the results, regardless of anything. And so um, that's really what I'm trying to do. I'm trying trying to go out there and get better every day and get the job done. That's good stuff. Uh, last thing for you, Aaron, as you look around and Dylan Cease is now in your room, um, you know, more and more, you look around, there's a lot of good young players, aren't there? You guys realize that, 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 that things are headed in the right direction. Can you guys all feel that as a collective right now? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, everyone's starting to build off each other. It's, you're starting to build off the success of the guy sitting next to you. Um, you're building off the success off um, the starters. The relievers are throwing the ball well. All eight guys in the pen are throwing well. We're putting up runs. Our starters are going deep into games. You know, it's just kind of one of those things where you're starting to see these kind of not necessarily finishing touches, but you're seeing that everyone developing – as a core together, there's a common goal. Um, there's a common goal to win. And, you know, every day we go out, we want to win. We want to win every single day. And, um, and I think as long as that's the mindset and it's no longer waiting for someone else to come up and waiting for, you know, waiting for next year or things like that. I think the mindset in our clubhouse is that we're going out there to win. And, um, as long as we have that mindset, we're going to be in a pretty good spot.
Aaron, a pleasure to talk to you, man. Thanks so much. Enjoy your day and enjoy your all-star break as well. Absolutely. Thank you, man. Thank you for having me. You got it. That's Aaron Bummer, White Sox pitcher. Um, he's, he's a great story. I'm going to go ahead and tweet the link to this story in The Athletic that James Fegan wrote that uh, was able to inform me for some of the stuff that we ended up talking about during that interview because it's, it's an interesting run uh, for Aaron Bummer. And right now he is as desired as there is in terms of left-handed relievers in baseball. Bruce Levine said so yesterday that every scout he talks to, their team would like Aaron Bummer. We're going to talk to Steve Stone next about the Sox, about the Cubs, and apparently about a new idea he has for managers. He has, he has piqued my interest. I have no idea where Stoney's going, but I'm looking forward to it. So Steve Stone is next. Ron Kittle here in person at Shy Sox Bar and Grill at 1130. It's Hit and Run. I'm Matt Spiegel with you on 670 The Score. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? You spend only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. 